Well, I tell you, we are, we are very excited today to be op- reopening our children's ministry. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids. So if you have kids here in the service, you can, uh, one of you, if you want to walk them down or if you just want to send them down to their classrooms, they know, they know where to go. And uh, I tell you, can we, can we give all of, our, uh, all of our volunteers who help on our kids' ministry a big hand? <laughs> Appreciate all that they do. Tell you, we are we are very blessed and very grateful for everybody who serves our kids, serves our families here. And uh, you guys heard me talk a couple weeks ago about how important it is in reaching our next generation. And I'm so thankful that we here as a church we wanted to just do something kind of fun as we reopen our kids ministry, doing kind of a, a hybrid approach, having them start in here, then go into their classrooms. And uh, you know, it, it's I tell you, it, it's exciting. It's fun to see uh, so many faces back here that we haven't seen in a little while too and uh, our kids are worth the investment you know we, we are pouring into them and uh, our, our volunteers are pouring into them I know that you are as well and they they are the the next generation that's going to be carrying the the banner of Christ forward and expanding his kingdom and uh, they are well worth our investment so I'm, I'm very grateful for for their, everybody who pours and invests in in our kids so uh, just a couple things before we get into our message today first of all it is great to be back um, and uh, be with you guys this morning. Uh, this past week, we started our circle communities. They began this past week, and we've heard several really great uh, reports already that have come in just about some great conversations that have already started to take place and relationships that uh, and connections that are being formed. And, and I wanted to tell you that it is not too late to get involved in one of our circle communities, get involved in one of our groups. So if you have not Already, I want to encourage you to go to our website. You can go to livingstones.vision slash groups. You can find a group on there that, that suits you, meets at a, at a time and a place that works well for, for all of you. Or you can uh, go out in the lobby after, after service today on the pegboard there. We have a whole bunch of uh, cards on there about the different groups that are going on. And I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that if you've not already done so, Pick out one of those groups. Get involved. Get Make this be the season that you get connected with your Livingstones Church family, maybe like you never have before. But um, yeah, make sure, make sure you find a group that works for you. Um, we're really excited just about what we've been seeing and hearing already through our groups. Also wanted to share with you, as, as you walked in, you saw all the school supplies out there that we've been gathering for our Monroe 180 partnership. Um, we're going to be delivering those to... Monroe tomorrow as they're getting ready to uh, start their in-person uh, classes and, and all that. And so if, you, if you've not already, you can uh, bring some, uh, some of those supplies by tomorrow. You can still go on, on Amazon. The, they have the wish list on there that you can order some things through there. But, it, but if you haven't already, it's okay because like I've told you guys before, we're, we're, this is for the entire 180 days of the school year. It's not just at the, a push at the beginning of the year. We're going to be with them for the long haul. And so uh, we'll keep you guys informed. Um, we, we ask them to let us know just kind of what needs they have as the school year progresses, and we'll be sure to, to pass those on to you. But just want to tell you guys thank you for participating and being part of that. And, and again, just keep, uh, keep an eye out, keep, uh, keep listening, and we'll be sharing with you more about our Monroe 180 partnership. And then finally, we're going to get ready to worship the Lord with our giving right now. And, um, and giving really is an act of worship, um, even though we're not passing the buckets as we, as we normally would. 
uh, before. Uh, it, it really, give, our giving is a way of just kind of telling God, you know, how much he means to us in, in a way. And you, you maybe have heard this said that you can tell what priorities people have in their life by where they spend their time and where they spend their money. And, and so we just want to give you an opportunity to, to worship the Lord with your giving. And uh, we have different ways you can do that, whether it be in person here, you can uh, put your, uh, your offering in the boxes at the back of the worship center. You can give online through our church app. Uh, you can mail uh, checks here to the church. But we just want to thank you for continuing to, to be generous and helping us uh, be the light that we have been called to be here on the south side of South Bend. So with that, let's, let's pray, and we will uh, get on with our message today. So Father, we just thank you, God, for, for our kids. Thank you, God, for just how uh, you, you've told us, Lord, that the children are inheritance they're, they're a blessing, and we're, we're just so grateful that you have blessed this church with, with children, Lord, with, with this next generation. And God, we just pray for, for all the parents who are in the room, the parents who are watching online, for those who are in, involved in our, in our children's ministry here. God, that, that you are going to use them to just have a, a mighty impact in the hearts and the lives of these kids, Lord. That It's not just going to be Bible stories that are told. It's not just going to be crafts that are made. But God, it, it's going to be the word of God that is implanted in their hearts, Lord, and the, that they're going to be set on a course of loving and serving you from a very young age, Lord. So God, we just pray your protection over our kids and, and pray that you would just encourage and equip all of the parents who are here in, in the room today as, as they serve and as they love their kids. God, we, we just give you this time. We give you the remainder of this service, Lord. We're so thankful, God, for what you're doing in this church God, we love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're starting a new series today, as you've seen, and we're calling it Flannel Graph Faith. And, and I don't know how many of you grew up in church. Um, I, I grew up going to Catholic church, and, and I remember going to my Sunday school class when I was young, and there was typically, you know, an, an older grandma who was leading the class, and she would, when it came to be story time, she'd gather us on the floor, and we'd, she'd get the flannel graph out. And, and it was this big flannel board, and, and it had all the, the characters that were sometimes crudely cut out in, in flannel pieces, and they'd be moved along the board, and she would tell the story using the, these, this flannel graph. And, and I don't know how many of you had a similar experience by that, but what we would typically learn were some of those like great Old Testament stories. You know, the, the, the stories where you say, wow, God did something truly amazing. And and so what we wanted to do with this series is take some of those stories that are typically told to kids, you know, that are in the kids' Bibles and, and those types of things, and share kind of a, a fun, dramatic thing for our kids at the beginning of the service, but then kind of revisit them and, and really talk about how, do, how does those stories truly impact all of us as adults, that they're not just great stories that we pass on to kids, but that there's meaning behind each one of them, and that God has something for each, each of us in there. And so as you, you saw already, we're going to be talking about the story of Jonah today. And, and oftentimes with Jonah, the, the story of Jonah, when it's conveyed to kids, often gets boiled down to, you know, Jonah, he's given a message from God, he runs away, he gets swallowed by a great fish, he spits it out, and then he goes and he obeys God and he learned his lesson. And, and while that's true, that's not the entirety, that's not the entire story of, of Jonah. That, that it, the, the story of Jonah is much bigger than just a, a, a man running from God and getting swallowed by, by a whale. And in fact, the, the great fish in the story is only mentioned four times 
in the entire book of Jonah. So it's not a story just about a great fish. It's also not a story just about a, a man who's running away from God. It's not even a story about a great city that comes to repentance. The story is actually, the story of Jonah is all about God and, and his amazing and radical and incredible love for people. That, that's what the story of Jonah is all about. And, and so there's a few things I want to share with you about, about Jonah this morning. So if you're either taking notes here or if you're following us on, on our app, there's a couple things I want you to write down. The first one is that Jonah is about the lengths that God will go to to pursue his people. The story, that's what the story of Jonah really is all about. The lengths that God goes to in order to pursue his people. And, and, and it's not just, not just about pursuing the people of Nineveh, but the lengths he went to to also pursue Jonah as well, when Jonah w was running away from him. And, and, and if you, you know the, the story at all, God sp speaks to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to this great city of Nineveh because I have a message I want you to share with them. And, and Jonah, he, he had no desire whatsoever to go to Nineveh. And, and honestly, who could blame him? Like, who, who could blame him for not wanting to go there? Because Nineveh was a, a large city in Assyria, and, and Assyria was, was essentially the sworn enemies of the people of Israel. Like, they, they did some terrible, awful things to the, to the Israelites, and, and Jonah really had no interest whatsoever in going there. He had no interest in going in and talking to them. I mean, it, it was a place of, of unspeakable evil where there was child sacrifice that, that took place. They, they, would, they would take live victims, put them essentially on a pike and put them outside to roast in the sun at, at the city gates. I mean, it was, it was awful. They, they were a, a wicked, terrible people. They, it, was just, it was just really bad. And, and God, it, it, in some ways, like I kind of think of it like this, it would be like if God came to one of us and said, I want you to go to like an ISIS stronghold. And I want you to tell ISIS that, that what they're doing is wrong and that God has a different way. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, um, God, you can ask somebody else to do that. Like, I, I'm not at all interested in going, in going there. And that's kind of the conundrum that Jonah faces. Is he, he's, he's told to go to this awful place that has done some awful things to his people. And he says, I'm, I'm out. I, I don't want to do it. In, in fact, he, he runs away. He turns from God and runs the complete opposite direction because he did not want to share the good news of a compassionate God with a wicked people. He just had no interest in that at all. In fact, as I was researching and as I was preparing for this message today, Warren Wearsby actually talks about this fact. He said, the Assyrians were a cruel people who often abused Israel. And Jonah's narrow patriotism took precedence over his theology. And I thought, man, those are some strong words right there. Where, where what he was saying is, he, he was saying Jonah's view uh, of, of patriotism, of nationalism, his, 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 uh, him being sold out to his country, his nation, took precedence over him obeying what God wanted. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, where, where patriotism our loyalty to country takes priority over theology, which is our loyalty to God. And I'll be honest, in, in the church, I see that today. I mean, especially during an election season like we're in right now. And, and let, that, let that never be said of us, that, that we put our loyalty to our country, our loyalty to our, our party or, or our candidate 
over our loyalty to God. I mean, those of us who are believers, I, and in fact, I want to kind of challenge all of us here as, as a church, and we'll talk more about this in, in a few weeks, but God, that, that our theology would inform our politics, not our politics informing our theology. That, that's what we should ascribe to as, as believers in Christ. But that being said, what, what ha- that, that's what happened to Jonah, that he had this, this uh, abiding sense of nationalism that really kind of took over, where he said, you know what? I don't care, God, if you want me to go talk to them. I don't want to do it. They've done some awful things to me. They've done some awful things to my people. They can just go take a hike, essentially, and, and, he, and he leaves. And, but like I told you at, at the beginning, the story isn't just about how God pursues the Ninevites, but God also pursues Jonah as well. That, and, and thank God for it, because Jonah is not the only one who ever tried to run away from what God was wanting him to do in his life. Like at one point or another, Moses and Elijah and, and Jeremiah, like they all tried running from what God had called them to do. And, and I'm sure I'm probably not the only one in the room who's tried running away from God as well. I, I know that I've been guilty of that too, where God has asked me to do something and I've said, God, I'm, I'm out. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and I'm, so, I'm so thankful that even in my ignorance and in my foolishness that, that God has still pursued me anyways, even in those moments. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm thankful for you that God has pursued you even in those moments too. And, and I just want to encourage you that if you're here today and you have loved ones who are far from God, you have loved ones who have turned their back on God, that God is still running after them. God is still pursuing them as well. And I want you to be encouraged by that, that he hasn't given up on your, on your loved ones either. And that he's, he has tried, and he will continue to try to pursue them and run after them as well. And that's great news. That's great news not just for the people of Nineveh, not just for Jonah, not just for us, but it's great news for everybody that God never stops running after us. He never stops pursuing us. And, and, and the great news about that too, and this is the second point I want to share with you today, is that God responds to repentance. God always responds to repentance. And, and repentance is really kind of just a, a Christianese word of saying having a change of mind a change of heart, a change of direction. That, that That's what repentance is. And God always responds to someone who has a, has a heart or has a, a heart of repentance. And, and that's, that's what happens to Jonah. When he's swallowed up in, in, and he's in the belly of this, this whale, he comes to this place where he has what seems to be a, a, a change of heart. And, and the entire second chapter of the book of Jonah is all about Jonah calling out to God in repentance. And calling out and saying, "God, I, I've I've changed. God, give me another give me another chance. Give me another opportunity." I'm not going to read the entire second chapter to you, but there are a few verses I want to kind of point out in Jonah chapter two, verses four through nine. And this is Jonah speaking to God here. He says, "I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains." I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. 
But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He, he, he calls out and says, God, give, give me another opportunity. I will go do what it is that you've asked me to do. I'll, I'll fulfill that call that you put on my life all that time ago. Give me another chance. And what's so great is God always responds to re repentance. He always does. And he gives Jonah another chance. He gives Jonah another shot. In fact, the, the first two verses in chapter 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The, the whale had spit Jonah out. He's on dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God said to him, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. And I, and I find this absolutely amazing. Because if, if there's one thing I think probably most parents in the room could agree with, is there's nothing more aggravating and more frustrating than when you ask one of your kids to go do something and they completely disregard what you've done or what you've asked and they go do the exact opposite. I, I, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than that as a parent. And Jonah is a textbook example of this because Jonah didn't just, he didn't just kind of like argue with God. Like all of us have had our kids argue with us from time to time. He didn't just argue with God and say, no, nah, I don't really want to do it. Jonah didn't just ignore what God had said to him. And anybody who's a parent in the room, you've had your kids ignore something that you've told them. But he just goes and does the exact opposite. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. He goes in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Like he, he deliberately disobeyed him. But God is so gracious and God is so loving towards him. And he responds to Jonah's prayer of, of repentance and gives Jonah another chance. And this time, Jonah goes. He goes and he follows through and he does what God had asked him to do. And in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, now this, I, I'm just going to inject my opinion here. This is one of those portions of Scripture that I wish God provided a little more detail in what actually took place because this seems like an odd message to share. It's just, hey, 40 more days, God's going to destroy the city. 40 more days, God's going to destroy the city. Like, if, if somebody came here to South Bend and said, hey, just so you know, in 40 days, God's going to completely destroy the entire city of South Bend, most of us would probably kind of blow them off as just being a kook, or we'd at least want to kind of ask a few more questions uh, about it, and, and I feel like that's, what Jonah's doing here kind of begs that, are like, okay, tell me a little more. Like, I, I, I have some questions for you, Jonah. But Scripture doesn't tell us anymore. All, all it tells us is that Jonah goes throughout the city and he shares these eight words, this bizarre eight-word evangelism strategy. And the crazy thing about it, though, is that it works. Like, the, these eight words that Jonah says, that 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, the people of Nineveh, actually responded to this like that they actually responded to what jonah was saying and and in fact th this this crazy eight word evangelist 
evangelistic message might have been the greatest message ever spoken because 120,000 people were saved. 120,000 people. 100% of the city responded to what Jonah was telling them. 100% of them repent and turn to God. In fact, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5 says that the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, all of them put on sackcloth. And what sackcloth is, is really just kind of a, a symbol of, of repentance and, and mourning over their sin. And it says everybody in the city believed God. Everybody in the city turned the way. And, and the rest of chapter 3 talks about what the Ninevites did in, in responding in repentance. And, and according, to the, according to the text, Jonah speaks these eight words, and those eight words stirred the hearts of everybody who was in the city. It stirred the hearts of everyone who was there. And just as God responded to Jonah's prayer of repentance, God responded to the Ninevites as well. And in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. God was pleased with their response. And, and this makes sense because the, the two ingredients for salvation, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 21, is faith and repentance. The, those are the two ingredients for salvation. And, and God responds, God acts in, in this way, and that's exactly what the Ninevites did. They, they put their faith, they, re, they repented. And what an amazing act of mercy and grace that God showed people who were definitely not deserving. They, they were engaged in such wicked, evil behavior. And because they turned their hearts back towards God, He forgave them. He showed them, he showed them incredible mercy that speaking one message spared tens of thousands of people. Now, now had, had the book of Jonah ended right here at the end of chapter 3, there's no doubt Jonah would have been considered probably the greatest prophet in, in all of history. That, that he went out and he spoke this one message and 120,000 people were saved. Like, I mean, had, had Jonah, the book of Jonah stopped here, like it would, it would have been like he would have been on the, the Mount Rushmore of prophets. Like he, he would have been great. 100% conversion rate. I mean, it's almost too good to be true. But then chapter 4 comes. Chapter 4 comes, and we really start to get a, a, a view into Jonah's true thoughts and into Jonah's real heart. And, and that brings us to kind of our final point today, and it's that a right heart is more important than right actions. A right heart is more important than right actions. And, and every one of us in this room today, everyone who, every one of us who's watching online, We've been guilty of this at one time or another, where we've done the right thing, but we've done it for the wrong reasons. Like we, we've all been there, and I could give you, you know, countless examples of this. I mean, you know, maybe you've bought a gift for somebody in hopes that they were going to re respond and get a gift for you. Or, or maybe you tried to lose weight in hopes that other people were going to notice. It's a good thing, but if you're doing it just for the attention, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Or, or how many times something's been posted on social media and you're constantly checking back to see, all right, who commented, how many people have liked it? And, and we're doing these good things, but we're doing them for the wrong reasons. And, and we've all done that. We've all done what appeared to be the right thing, but our heart and our motives 
didn't actually line up with what our, what our action was. And that's exactly where we find Jonah in chapter 4, that he went and he spoke this message to Nineveh, just as, just as God had asked him to do. He went and he spoke the, this incredible message, but his heart, his heart wasn't there at all. His heart, was, his heart wasn't there at all. And those of you that, that are parents in the room again, we've all run into this same thing again, where, where maybe your, your child, maybe they said something that was unkind, or maybe they, they took a toy that belonged to somebody else, and you say, all right, well, you tell them that you're sorry. Well, I'm sorry. And like, no, you, you, you mean it. You tell them you're sorry like you mean it. Well, I'm really, really sorry. You know, like, I mean, how many of us have been there before? You know, and, and we, we made them go through the motions we made them do the action, but their heart wasn't really aligned with what, what it was that we were asking them to do. And that's, that's where we find Jonah right now. Hence, hence the idea that a right heart is more important than right actions. And so in the, in the opening verses of chapter 4, we start to kind of get a, an, an inside look at what Jonah was really thinking and where his heart really was. In Jonah, Jonah 4, chapter one through three, or verses 1 through 3, says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, that, that, that God had decided he was going to spare the people of Nineveh. That, that God's act of mercy to Jonah seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Now, now I, I find this interesting because sometimes our modern English translations don't quite carry the weight that the original Hebrew texts actually, actually mean. Because Hebrew can be a very physical language. And, and this, this word angry, we don't have a, a really good equivalent in, in English for. What, what this word angry really means is being so angry, being so upset to the point where you are physically ill. Like that's how, that's how angry he was. I don't know if you've ever gotten that upset or if you've ever been that angry in your life where you felt physically sick from it. But that's where Jonah was at this point. That he was so angry with God that God spared the Ninevites that he was physically ill and he prayed to the Lord isn't this what I said Lord when I was still at home like can you just imagine him just kind of wagging his finger at God this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity now Lord take my life for it's better for me to die than to live. Like, isn't this amazing right here? Like, I, I'm just, I'm dumbfounded by this. He's actually angry with God because God is too gracious, because God is too loving, too compassionate, too merciful. That's what he's upset about. Instead of rejoicing over the fact that 120,000 people just got their lives spared, instead of rejoicing in that fact, He's angry about it. He's angry that God spared them and so angry to the point that he wanted to die. I, I find it so unique that the first time that Jonah prays, he prays that God is going to save his life and give him another chance. And the second time that Jonah prays, he's praying that God take my life. I want to I die right now. And he even tries to justify his initial disobedience, kind of blaming God. Thank God, this is the whole reason I ran the other way. Because I knew you were kind. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate. And I don't like it. Like, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you were compassionate to me. I'm grateful you were merciful and gave me another chance. 
but them? You, I mean, come on, God. Are you, are you serious? And, and, and I mean, have we all been in Jonah's shoes at one point or another? Where the same grace and forgiveness we want extended to us, we don't necessarily want extended to people who've hurt us or to people who've wounded us. But again, God responds so graciously to Jonah. And he's, in verse 4, he says, But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Like, I, I love this question. Jonah, really? Is, is it right for you to be angry? Like, I, I, thank God I'm not God, because, because I would have wanted to just smack Jonah at this point. I say, like, who do you think you are? Like, you're gonna, Jonah, you're going to sit here and you're going to lecture me? After, after the grace and the compassion and the mercy I've shown you, that you're going to come and lecture me about how I'm too merciful and too gracious and too compassionate? He doesn't do that. He, he, just, he responds to Jonah graciously and just with a, with a question. Is it, is, it right? is it right for you to be angry about this? And then we come to what I, what I think is probably the most overlooked part in the entire story of Jonah, the last few verses in, in book four. Or excuse me, in chapter 4. And I want to share this with you now. And, and just follow along with, with me as, as, as we kind of, again, get a, a deeper glimpse into Jonah's heart. It says, Jonah had gone out, and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I, I, I kind of envision Jonah like kind of getting ready for a football game. Like he goes and finds a great seat that's overlooking the city. He's like, all right, God, let him have it. I'm excited to see you destroy this city. Come on, here we go. And he finds this great seat, and he's just waiting for God to do something. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God's just gracious response to him again. Is it re- like, are you seriously this upset? about a plant, Jonah. Like, that, that's kind of what he's asking him. And Jonah responds, It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. Like, doesn't he sound like a four-year-old throwing a temper tantrum? Like, it is, I am so angry, I should just die. And that, that's kind of where Jonah is. He went up, he got this great seat, and he's, he's more upset about his own personal comfort, that this plant that God had, had, had put over him to provide shade, all of a sudden withered and died, and now he's hot. He's more upset about that than he is about rejoicing that God spared 120,000 people. Like, his comfort means more to him than the souls that were saved. And again, he begs God to, to take his life. And so as we kind of close out our time today, we come to what, what I feels like a very, feels like a very strange and abrupt ending to the book of Jonah. It, it, Jonah's it's a short book, it's only four chapters long. And there's only two books in the entire Bible that end with a question, with an unanswered question. Jonah's one of them. God, God ends the book of Jonah with a question. The other one is Nahum. 
And, and what's really unique is both Nahum and, and Jonah are both referencing and talking about Nineveh, and they both kind of end with this cliffhanger, unanswered question at the end. And, and in some ways, it kind of makes me think of like the final scene of The Sopranos, where Tony is sitting in the diner, and, and you know you hear the door open and the bell rings, and all of a sudden the screen goes black. And you have this unanswered question, like, okay, well, what happened to Tony? Like, did, did they come get him? Was it the, the, the Fed? Like, what happens to him? And it's left unanswered at the end. And that's kind of what, what we get here at the end of Jonah. We're in jo the last two verses in Jonah chapter 4. It says, But the Lord said to Jonah, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. So he's saying, God, Jonah, you were so fixated. You were so concerned about just this plant, this plant, this plant of all things. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's it. That's the end of the book. There's no real ending. There's no conclusion. We're not told what happens to Jonah. We're not, we're not told what, what takes place. We, we don't get to see or hear what happens to the rest of the people in Nineveh after they were spared. It just kind of ends right there. But, but I believe God was actually making a statement with this question. When, when he said to Jonah, he said, Jonah, you were so concerned about this plant. Should I not be concerned about all these people, these 120,000 people who are in the city, who are lost, who are far from me? You, you care more about this plant than you care about 120,000 people. He's making a statement right there. And, and, and that's how the, the book of Jonah ends, just with this simple, unanswered question. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? And in many ways, I feel like that's on purpose. I feel like God was kind of ending that book in that way on purpose. Because he wants us to reflect on that same question. That, that same question, do we have the heart of Jonah that's more concerned with our comfort, that's more concerned with our, our politics and, and our, our sense of nationalism, or are we more concerned with the heart of God? Where, where, where are we? Where do we fall in, in all of this? Do we have God's heart or do we have Jonah's heart? Are we more concerned about what makes us comfortable and what we like and what we think is fair, or are we more concerned with what God's heart is? and what God cares about, and what God thinks. I guess, let me, let me just rephrase it a different way. Do we, do we desire comfort? Do we desire to have things done the way we want? Or do we desire God's ways more than our own? I, I, I love what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. But instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the heart of God. Right there. God's heart, God's desire, is that none should perish, but that everybody come to a place of repentance. So if you think in your mind, the most, the most vile person, the, what, what, the most disgusting thing you could think of, 
that's who God is pursuing. That, who's, that, who's, that is who God cares about. That's who God is after. The child molester. God's pursuing them. God wants to see them come to a place of repentance. The murderer. The Islamic terrorists. Like, I mean, you, you name it. The, the most vile, disgusting, despicable things. God says, I care about them as much as I care about you. And do we have that same heart? Or do we have the heart of, of Jonah that said, that's, God, that's not fair. I don't like that. Like, I, 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 want, I want your forgiveness for me. But for them, that's a step too far. And I'll tell you, that, that, that's the question I want us to wrestle with today. That's the question I want us just to kind of sit in the room and, and have us just ponder for a moment. Like, are, are we, do we have that same heart that God does? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to reach the people that are, are, that are in our city, that are in our neighborhoods, that are in our family, who are far from God, even if they don't deserve it? Are we willing to go serve them and love them and pursue them the way that God has served and loved and pursued us? Because that's my desire for us as a church, that we would have that same kind of heart for people, the people that everybody else has written off, the people that everybody else thinks are a lost cause. We say, no, you're valuable to us because you're valuable to God. That's who I want us to be as a church. So if you would, just bow your heads for me for just a moment. And Father, we, we just want to tell you how grateful we are for you. God, thank you for your incredible grace, your incredible love, your incredible mercy that you bestowed on us. And, and God, we definitely did not deserve it whatsoever. Lord, that you, you, have, you have given us the free gift of grace. That, Lord, that, that, that even though we might not have been doing the vile things that were taking place in the city of Nineveh, Lord, we were doing things that grieved your heart, and yet you still ran after us, and you still pursued us. Lord, I pray that you would give us that same heart that you have. Lord, that, we, we've heard this said before, but God, that you would break our hearts with the things that break your heart. Lord, that the people that, that nobody else loves... God, that you would give us a heart to love them. The people that nobody else cares about, that you would give us a heart to care about them. And Father, as, as we just kind of stand before you, as, as we look ourselves in the mirror, and we find ourselves having more a heart like Jonah, where we just complain and say, God, it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right. I don't want to do that. I don't like them. They've hurt me. God, that you would do a, a, a work inside our hearts. God, that we would be able to look at them with the same love and compassion that you have. The people who have hurt and the people that have wounded us. God, that we would be able to have that same heart of compassion and mercy and love and grace for them that you have. God, let that be who we are as a church. God, do that work inside of us. And Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.